Amen, Carter. Amen, amen. All right. The, the lesson tonight, the lesson tonight is the four chairs. I'm going to make this as simple as I can. There are going to be four chairs in this room tonight. This will be chair number one, chair number two, chair number three, chair number four. All right, I just found out where the central private people are real quick, okay? Yeah. All right. Hey, all right, so chairs one, two, three, and four. What you're going to find out by the end of the night if you pay attention, if you listen, you metaphorically will be sitting in one of these chairs by the end of the night. And each chair is going to represent where you stand in your walk with the Lord. So tonight's one of those perfect nights where you get to check up and see where am I at when it comes to my relationship with the Lord. So chair number one is a born-again believer whose life has changed. Romans 3.10 says, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Chair number one understands there is nothing in and of himself that is good. He also understands that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Romans 6, 23. So, so this person understands in Ephesians chapter 2 that other than the, the himself, the world, and the devil, there's nothing good that he can do. He is just simply following those paths. Himself, the world, and the devil. But then Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So chair number one understands that God sent his son to die on the cross for him, even though there was nothing good he could do on his own. And he understands the love that the Father has to send his son to die for me, and I can't even do anything good of my own, has compelled me to follow in Romans 10, 13, which says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans 10, 9 through 10, that says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Chair number one understands that his walk with the Lord is not perfect, but his belief in Christ has caused his life to change. Who's got the Romans 6 verse for me? Who's got that one? Kyler, read it for us. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. So chair number one understands, although they've given their life to Christ, they are perfect. But they do understand that if they have a life that is now Christ, that they do not continue in sin anymore. They're no longer known by that lifestyle of sin. Who's got the Romans 12 verse for us? Me either. Take us away, Alexia. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So chair number one understands that their life is being transformed and that it's a renewing of the mind, meaning they are growing in their relationship with the Lord. See, salvation for chair number one was not just a decision at camp. It was not just an emotional moment you had four years ago. Chair number one's salvation story is I got saved a while back, and guess what? I'm living more saved today than I ever have been because I've been growing in my relationship with the Lord. That is what chair number one is. A born-again believer who has a true relationship with God. Who's got our Mark verse for me? I think this is cool. Give us to us, Amelia. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to, to fish for people. So this is when Jesus is calling the disciples. It's in Mark. And what does it say, Amelia? What is, what is Jesus first telling the disciples to do? Come. Come. What does that mean? Before you can do the acts of, 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 of grace being shown, before you can do the things of doing anything for the Lord, you first must... Come to Him. Come to Him. Thank you very much. That is on point. 
So guess what? That's going to tie into some of the other chairs that we get to. But before you become fishers of men, before you do acts that you believe are good, it doesn't happen before you first come to Christ. Luke 13.5 says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know what repenting means? It means a change of mind. It means a change of direction. I tell you nay, except you repent. Unless you change your, unless your mind is changed by what I have done through Jesus dying on the cross for you, you shall all likewise perish. Chair number one is a born-again believer who has a true relationship with the Lord. The story I'm going to give with you to help you tie it all together is the farmer's story. The farmer had a son, and the son was five years old. The farmer would wake up every day and go out into the field, and he would farm the land. But what was really cute is his five-year-old son would come out with his dad every morning. And he would come out every morning, and he would try and dress like his dad. He would try and put the boots on, and he would try and follow his dad around all day long. But he's five years old. He never could actually do anything that the farmer, his dad, could do. But he followed around every day. And he would stumble. He would fall. Sometimes he would be in the wrong place. But the father kept putting him back in the right spot. The father continued to teach him what it looked like to be a farmer. The farmer continued to grab his son who was out in the field with him and showed him what it was like to farm. But the cool thing is this. Everybody who was on the fence watching the farmer and his son never had a doubt in their mind who the son was trying to imitate, even though he failed continually. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, man, are you saying my walk with the Lord has to be perfect? No, but I am going to ask you this. If, I, if someone were to follow you around day in and day out, every single thing you do, everything that you type and do, would you be an imitator of God or an imitator of the world? Because guess what? If you've given your life to Christ, people should know you're an imitator of God, not the world. That's what chair number one is. Does that sound good? That tied very well? Good deal. Chair number two is a born-again believer who had truly given their life to Christ. And maybe for a season, maybe for a time, they were sold out for the Lord. But guess what? They let sin enter back in, and their fellowship with the Lord has been broken. Who's got our revelations first? Me. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Chair number two, like it says in that verse, it says, I have something against you. You have left your first love. In Revelations, he's talking about the church of Ephesus that at first was doing things for the Lord and was in right fellowship with the Lord. But guess what? Something happened in their lives. And guess what? They had left their first love of God. And God even said at the very end, what is He going to do? He's going to take away their candlestick. He's going to take away their witness. He's going to take away the fact that I can't use you when you've let sin enter back in. And although we have a born-again relationship, I've identified sin in your life. And guess what? You're no longer repenting. You're no longer changing your mind about that sin in your life. So guess what? You're not in right fellowship with God, and you're in chair number two. So we have chair number one who has a born-again relationship, right? And, and again, it's not perfect, but you can tell what they're imitating. Chair number two is a born-again believer, but they've broken that fellowship. Their life, it's hard to tell if they're imitating Christ or not. And the story I'm going to give to you is this. It's, it's, it's a plane story. Y'all good with planes? Any of y'all not like to fly? Does anyone, has anyone, is anyone afraid of flying? Good. Y'all can all stay in the room. Also, do you need to leave? I don't want to make you upset. Okay, okay. You're good. All right. If he starts breathing heavy, we know what to do. All right. Hey, where do y'all want to go? Where do y'all want to go on a trip? Mexico. Mexico. I, I like Mexico. So go. Hawaii? That's the closest place you could go out of Hawaii. Hey, we'll go to Hawaii. Let's go. I like Hawaii. Hawaii sounds good. We'll go to Hawaii. All right. Hey, we're going to go to Hawaii. Here we go. So, chair number two, all right, this is going to be a story that's going to tie it together. 
There was a man and a woman on a plane, and they were going to Hawaii, all right? It's a pretty decent long flight, but they were going to Hawaii. On the plane ride, the man and the wife are sitting next to each other, and they start just having a normal conversation. Well, come to find out, the woman on the plane was actually married and had been married for 10 years. She had been married for 10 years and actually even had two kids. Well, the man on the plane actually, during the conversation, actually started to think, man, I, I, I don't know, she's, she's, she's kind of cute. Actually, guess what? I, I've got a deal for you, woman. I've got a deal. Listen, if you will be unfaithful one time, I actually should be unfaithful one time whenever we land in Hawaii. I kid you not, I'm a very famous businessman. I own one of the S&P 500 biggest companies in the world, and I promise you I could wire you a million dollars, but I just need you to be unfaithful one time. So the woman goes, man, I, you, you don't understand. I've been married for 10 years. I, I did it 10 years ago, and on top of that, I have kids and my husband. I'm, but, but man... What would a million dollars do? Maybe my husband could quit working. Or maybe I could set up a college fund for my students. It is just one time. He says, yeah, it's just, I promise you, it's just one time. Like, no strings attached. One time, the wired money, and it's over with. And as the argument continues, she finally says, all right, I guess. Just one time when we land in Hawaii, a million dollars, what's the big deal? So they land or whatever, and he says, listen, when we land, I need you to meet after we check out. And, and you know, we'll get all the details all done. And she goes, okay, fine. So they go over there and they meet after the checkout if they get off the plane and they're having a conversation and the man goes, look, I, I got to be honest with you. I really can't give you a million dollars. And I, I don't even have any cash on me right now to give you. But I, I, I'm curious, would you still be willing to be unfaithful one time? And, and the wife, the wife, the mom goes, are, are you kidding me? Like, like, who do you think I am? And the man says, hey, We've already figured that out. We were just uh, discussing what price at. We were just discussing what it would take for you to throw it away. Hey, you may have given your life to Christ 10 years ago, but you being unfaithful right now to God is the same thing as that. Is your walk with God circumstantial on the circumstances that you're in and the environments that you indulge yourself with? Meaning, hey, listen, I'm a born-again believer at church, but guess what, at school? Hey, I'm a whole different person. Hey, don't look at my search history at night. Hey, it's just homecoming night. Hey, it's just one party. It's just being unfaithful one time to God. Hey, I want to ask you, did it matter to all the people on the plane whether she was a, a wife or not? No. No, guess what everyone else on the plane said? Man, she's a hypocrite. But she had the marriage license. She had kids. But in that moment, guess what? She was unfaithful and her witness to be a, a wife, to be a mother, meant nothing. If you're a born-again believer and you let sin enter back in, your witness and testimony goes to nothing. Chair number one, born-again believer who's on fire for the Lord. They're excited about the things of God. Their relationship is rock solid. Chair number two is a person who is truly saved but has let sin enter back in. And guess what? Their testimony is affected. I'm saying, how's it affected? Chair number four. I love chair number four. Actually, I don't, but it was just a good transition to say that. Okay. Chair number four. Great. Chair number four is a person who has heard the word of God and has just rejected for that to be their life. They're one of those who may have went to a church service before, maybe never went to church before, but their belief in who God is has never caused them to come to the saving knowledge of accepting him as their personal Lord and Savior. Okay? And here's the part that's even crazier. Chair number four looks at people at chair number two and says, if that's what it means to have a relationship with the Lord, I must have it also. I watch the same things they do. I go to the same parties they do too. 
I listen to the same things they do. I search the same things they do. If, if, if Christianity is really what it's supposed to do, and that day of judgment comes, I look just like this person who says they have a relationship with the Lord. You see the problem? This is interesting. This is good. I like it. I like it. Okay. We've done chair number one. We've done chair number two. We've done chair number four. Central private. Which one's missing? Three. Three. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That is awesome. Okay, good. Chair number three is missing. That's very good. I, I don't know how live oats academics are, but would y'all, would y'all know it's three, two? Oh, it's bad? Oh, okay, okay. All right. All right. This is three, all right? This is three. Okay. Okay, good. All right, chair number three. I like this. All right. Hey, remember, I asked you at the very beginning, if you metaphorically sit, which chair are you going to sit in? So now we got to ask about chair number three. Chair number three is the most scary chair to talk about. It is very tough to talk about, but honestly, it's the most real chair. Chair number three is someone who thinks they have a relationship with Christ, but don't. Who's got the verses in Matthew? Take us away, Carter. Many will say to me one day, Lord, Lord, will we not prophesy, prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out the demons, and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you they will do it. Matthew chapter 5 is giving an example of Judgment Day, and it says there will be many, 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 meaning a lot. There will be a lot of those who will say, Lord, Lord. Now, if they're addressing God as Lord, Lord, that must mean they had some knowledge of who God was. So they're addressing God and saying, Lord, Lord, did I not do all those things in your name? Did I not have a relationship with you? Did I not earn salvation? And it says that God says what? Depart from me, you work in me. That's exactly right. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Guess what that last phrase is? Hey, I never knew you. Hey, remember here? Come and follow me. Then I'll make you fishers of men. You can't be a fishers of, fisher of men if you don't have a personal relationship with God. This person was trying to be fishermen and have no personal relationship with God. Who's got a verse in Luke 16? Takes away, Alex. All right, so in the story it says, In hell he looked up and he saw Abraham afar off. Continue with it, Alex. With Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. So in hell he lifts his eyes up, and it says it was a rich man. You can look at the whole story if you want to in Luke chapter 16. He lifts his eyes up in hell, and one of the first things he says is, Abraham, Abraham. Now, why is it interesting that in hell he lifts his eyes and says, Abraham, Abraham? He knew who he was. In hell, he looked up and said, Abraham, Abraham. You know, there could be someone in this room who could look their eyes up in hell and say, I was at Sandy Creek. I was there. Abraham, Abraham, Sandy Creek, Sandy Creek. I was there. I heard the gospel. I thought I was just doing everything. I was with the crowd. Don't you know we did amazing things there? Lord, Lord! He says, but I never knew you. 
workers of iniquity. Because remember, outside of God, there's nothing good that you can do. Remember chair number one? There is no good work you can do outside of God living within you, taking over your life, surrendering your life that you can do for good. So no matter your best efforts, it's still futile. So chair number three is scary because chair number three believes they have a relationship with God. They sit in a room that's just like this. They go to a church just like you do. But there's going to come a day where someone's going to lift their eyes because it says there in the Bible that they're going to lift their eyes up and call out. I thought I had it right. Chair number three also looks at chair number two and says, I thought we'd do the same thing. And, and here's the part that, that I really want, want to hit y'all with is this. We have chair one, two, three, and four, and we've all described all four of them. Now I'm going to do something a little bit different. Someone tell me the difference between them. You squished them. I switched them, that's right. Live oak? I switched them. They look the same. Chair two and three, from the outside looking in, look the same. And we have no idea from our perspective whether someone has a true relationship with God or not because from the outside they look the exact same. So you're sitting here and you're like, man, well, James, you already said here, okay, uh, I have a relationship with the Lord on fire. Yeah, I get what that looks like, but I'm, I'm really not there. But hey, I liked when you talked about chair number two because I, I know there was some time where I said I was saved, but you know what? I just deviated from the path. I promise you I'm going to get back on at some point. I know I had a moment. I know I'm off the path. I know I'm going to get back right. Well, I'll tell you what's scary is this person looks just like this person, and this person is not going to heaven. And you're playing around with your eternity. So I'm going to give a story here. It's, it's about a burning building. And chair one, two, three, and four are in that building. Now chair number one, we'll, we'll look at that. The, the owner of the house tells them, hey listen, if there's ever a fire in the house, there's some certain things that you need to do. And he even teaches them a song as to what to do when they're in the house. Alright, so when they're in the house, you know, step one, I need to... Get down. Step two, identify the smoke. Step three, get outside the house. You know, oats in the windows. Whatever it is, the, the, the specifics are not the exact same. It's not that important. But they understand there are some sort of things that show you know what to do when the fire's coming. There is something to do if you know that the fire is coming and when it does come, okay? On top of that, the owner of the house is given chair number one a fireproof jacket. All right, metaphorically, okay, just imagine... They couldn't get harmed with this jacket, okay? Can we do that for the story? Okay. Uh, no escape clauses, okay? All right. He couldn't get burned. So he gets a jacket. Well, chair number two also gets a jacket. Okay? Well, so as, as life goes on and things are going around, you know, chair number one throughout the house is singing the song from time to time. It's practicing it. And guess what? Chair number one keeps messing up the steps sometimes. And even along the way, sometimes he even messes up the song. But he keeps practicing, he keeps refining it, and he keeps singing out. Well, chair number two, he never sees the importance of singing the song. Maybe occasionally he will. Maybe when he's with chair number one, he might sing it a couple times, but he doesn't sing it often. And chair number three and chair number four say, wait a second, wait, the song's not that important? The procedures aren't that important? What it looks like and what to do in response to a fire that is coming is not that important? 
We should be good. Chair number two says we're good. We said that prayer. Well, guess what? The fire comes. And chair number one, as the fire's going, goes to the procedures and gets out of the house. Chair number two is sitting in the house going, whoa, wait, it's, it's really happening right now. I, I'm really not ready for this right now. But, uh, and then chair number four and chair number three say, hey, hey what, what are we supposed to do here? What, what, what's going on? What do we need to do? And chair number two says, listen, I, I really don't know. It's going to be okay. I promise you. Hey, do you, you were, don't you remember hearing that song a long time ago? Don't you remember hearing it? Well, guess what? The fire comes. Chair number three and chair number four get burned. And chair number two is fine because he had the jacket. It's not enough to hear the gospel. It wasn't enough just to hear and know what to do. It means everything to apply and to change of heart to follow after him. So the whole time chair number two was living in the house, not practicing the song, chair number two had no witness, had no testimony to help people in chair number three and chair number four. Y'all see it? So metaphorically, you should be sitting in one of these chairs and that should show where you're at in your walk with the Lord. Chair number one, there's maybe a couple of questions that we can ask to see if you're in chair number one. Hey, are you excited about Bible study? Are you excited about opening God's Word or is it still a chore for you? I asked this past week, the FCA at Central on Friday, I said, could you do 10 minutes every day praying to God? You know what some of them kids will find out if they start doing it? 10 minutes is a long time. And honestly, I can't remember the last time I really prayed for 10 minutes to God. Have you ever thought about that? Yes, God saved me, but I, 10 minutes is a long time to pray to Him. Right? But what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of a flip side. I enjoy this part of the chairs, and I call it the devil's point of view. And it's going to help tie together a couple of couple of loose ends to understand what chairs you're in. Okay, I want to make this clear. So chair number one, board again relationship with God, on fire for God. Their light is shining. They are positively affecting and pointing chair two, three, and four to Christ. Chair number two has a true relationship with God, but they've deviated. They now let sin enter in. They are not pointing people towards Christ. Chair number three has never given their life to Christ, but see they're doing some of the similar things that chair number two is doing, so I guess I'm right with God. Same thing with chair number four. Although I'm not actively even doing a lot of the things that they're doing, hey, if that's what it means to be saved, we all look the same. Okay? Now it's the devil's point of view. You tell me where the devil shoots his ammo at. Is it the people here who are living like the world who are negatively affecting those to Christ? Who is the devil pointing his ammo at? Chair number one. Why? Because guess what? Once you are a child of God, the devil cannot take you away from him. You following? The only thing the devil can do is try and reintroduce sin into your life so that way he can let your witness be affected here because guess what? You are lost. He can't get you. But what he can do is introduce sin and have you choose sin so guess what? Now your fellowship with God can be broken. And how effective of a testimony do you have when you're sitting in chair number two? None. So you tell me, uh, does the devil waste any ammo on chair number two and chair number three? Because guess what? He's already got you in those chairs. Why waste any more ammo on you? So a lot of times it's funny whenever people are going through these, these difficult times or, and they're suffering sometimes and they're like, man, the devil's really at me. The devil's really chasing at me. One of the first things you need to ask yourself, have I been reading my Bible? Have I been praying? 
do I love God's people? Am I actively witnessing? And guess what? If you can't answer yes to those, I can tell you right now, that's not the devil even messing with you. You think he's messing with you because guess what? It's great to think, oh yeah, the devil's got his eye on me. Hey, if you're not doing those things and you don't have any fellowship with God, devil don't care about you. You're better off doing your best efforts than him getting involved. The devil's point of view. Who's got the Hebrews verse for me? Who's got the Hebrews verse? Oh, you yeah, know, it's Psalms. Psalms. It's also in Hebrews. But take us away. Do not burden your hearts as at Meribah, as on, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the rest, and put me to the proof through they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known in my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So that is this Psalm chapter 95, if you ever want to flip there and read it for your own. But what is happening there is God is talking about the people, the Israelites. And if you know anything about the Israelites, they were in Egypt and they saw God work and move in such a mighty way. And then they got out into the wilderness and although they saw God work and move in such a mighty way, they rebelled against Him. Their hearts were hardened to God. They saw the acts of God for 40 years and rejected Him. Hey, you do realize in hell with chairs number 3 and 4, you're going to lift your eyes up and you're going to say, for those many years I sat at church. For that long of a time, I heard the gospel. For that long of a time, I had the opportunity to repent and accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Because it even says there in the Israelites, for 40 years they saw me. And for 40 years I was patient with them. Hey, do you realize if you're breathing in this room right now, God's being patient with you? God's being patient with you. So, so who's got John 10.10? It's our final verse of the night. John 10.10, 10. anyone else? Killian. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Okay, so the thief cometh only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's the thief? The steal, kill, and destroy. Thank you. Keep going. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. But I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundant. This is Jesus talking. So how can you have the life more abundant? So you're telling me there's a difference between salvation and abundant life? What are you talking about? Life? and life more abundant. Hey, remember, these are both saved individuals, but this is the only one living the abundant Christian life because they're in the center of God's will. Y'all see it? Hey, y'all know those bracelets y'all have? What, what, what's the verse on it? John 10.10. 10. Hey, you have these bracelets on? You walk around, you're at school? Hey, you got two options every single day. Follow what the thief is trying to do, steal, kill, and destroy? Or am I living the abundant Christian life that Jesus has to offer for me? Right? So again, we're getting close to the end of the of the message. And I just want to go through it one more time real briefly. Because guess what? If you've been paying attention then you should not physically get up here, but mentally you can be honest with yourself and say, James, honestly, what if I'm hot? Honestly, honestly, James, if I were to be real with myself, I'm not sure if I'm on fire for the Lord. Honestly, if I'm real with myself, James, praying to God for 10 minutes seems like an eternity. Honestly, James, 
I'm just not sure if I can be a Christian everywhere I go. Okay? So if you can't be a Christian everywhere you go, and your Christian walk is identified by what environment you indulge yourself in, what you search for on your phone, who you're involved with, guess what? You can't sit in this chair. So now we have three chairs left. So then you ask this question. Well, wait, did, did, was, was that, when I really asked Jesus into my heart, was it real or not? Ten years ago, I, I said a prayer. The pastor even said I was saved. Hey, the pastor doesn't stand with you when, when, when God calls out, Lord, Lord. You're by yourself. So wait a second, I, I'm struggling with my walk with the Lord. I, I don't really know. Because guess what? I, I don't really love God like I know I'm supposed to. But I do know I did get saved at some point. You know, if you acknowledge that, that your fellowship with God isn't right, and you don't get right, you know your heart is being hardened. And again, okay. We'll go to the last two chairs. Hey, but I, I, I think I got saved ten years ago. I, the pastor said something. I, I go to church sometimes. I, I, th- I think I'm saved. I, I think I got it figured out. I, I'm not for sure. I mean, I, I don't. I, it's hard to read my Bible. It, it's hard to pray. But I know I said the prayer one time, and, and that guy on Facebook, he told me I, I'm saved if I said that prayer. There's more power in the prayer than Jesus sending his son to die on the cross to change my life. Well, chair two and three kind of sound like the same thing. How do you really know if you're saved or not then? How you walk with the Lord. Thank you very much. That's well done. How you walk with the Lord. That works out good. How you walk with the Lord. So it goes back to here. So, where we get at and how we close this is it says in Psalms. Do you want to read that Psalm more? Are you still there with the Psalm? It's Psalm 95. We're going to have to read it one more time. And then we're going to close out, y'all. We're done. All right. Oh, all right. So right there at the very beginning, say it really, really loud for me one more time. Do not harden your hearts. Hey, do not harden your hearts. Why did I want to bring that up here at the very end? Because on Sunday mornings, we've been going through Hebrews. And on Sunday mornings, those who've been meeting together have really started to see when God means business and when God is dealing with you, He's not asking you to respond when you're ready. Meaning, when you are hearing the gospel presented, when you're identifying your walk with God is not right, it's not for you to say, all right, when I'm ready, I'm going to get back right. No, if you're acknowledging that your walk with God is not in chair number one, that is God inviting you to come into your life and to change you today. But guess what we do? We say no and wait till tomorrow. And scripture says, if you say no to God now, your heart is hardened. And I I want to be very, very clear with you. Your heart can be so hardened that you can even sit and hear a message like this where the gospel is being presented and it not even touch your heart because you've forgotten what it really was like to give your life to Christ. You've forgotten what it really means to be on fire for the Lord. Your heart has been so hardened by the idea of religious acts, the ideas of going through the motions of church, that guess what? Real relationship with God is just not reasonable in this day and age, James. And then you got to ask yourself, is your heart hardened just like Scripture says it would be? 
when you reject when He is inviting to be the Savior of your life? And you're saying, James, well, how are you going to close a message like this? I, if you have not known anything and you don't know me well, hopefully at the beginning of this, this tonight that you understand, I love you each dearly and passionately. And, and guess what? I wouldn't be showing up to your games. I wouldn't be showing up to be involved in your life if Christ really didn't save me. The only reason I like showing up for you is because God showed up for me. And the part that's really cool is God will show up for you right now. And whatever lie the devil has already started to tell you, meaning it's impossible for your life to change, it's impossible to really change my life, you don't know what school looks like, you don't know what it really is like in the real world, hey, I was in the real world. I know what the devil's lies are, but guess what? The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Hey, you've got to understand, it's all deception. But ask someone who's really given their life to Christ and has been born again and ask them when they're in the center of God's will what it's really like. Because let me tell you something. I spent a lot of my years not being where God wanted me to be. And then all of a sudden, when God puts me in His will, I've never been more happier. Life more abundant. And guess what? Life is not all about rainbows and butterflies and everything works out perfectly. Because let me tell you something. There have been struggles. There have been difficulties. But guess what? I've never faced them alone since asking Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior. He's been with me the whole time. And I followed him around just like the farmer boy did. And guess what? Every time I stumbled, he picked me up. And every time I forgot my boots, he said, go back in the house and get your boots. If you were that son or you were the daughter of that farmer, has he ever picked you up? Has he ever told you to put your boots on? Or do you wake up every morning never leaving the house? Y'all hear me? So tonight, you have the opportunity to give your life to Christ. Meaning, Jesus has already done all the work Giving your life to Christ is saying there's nothing I can do in and of myself to approve God, to, to, to have salvation, to be holy and, and, and self-righteous in front of His eyes. It is only the work of Christ. So I'm surrendering my life to Him forever and always. And guess what? You don't have to write it down on a note card. You don't have to say the same prayer I do. All you have to do is exactly what the Scripture says, is change your heart, change your mind to His body, so that way you can be His. But you reject it, you're only left with three more chairs. And let me tell you something. Those who are in this room and you know for a fact that you've given your life to Christ, and you're sitting in this chair and you've let sin enter back in, man, it's miserable, huh? It's miserable trying to be right with God and right with the world. Have you not figured out it's impossible? Have you not figured out when you chase after sin it always leaves this pit? Have you ever figured out that even though it seems great in the moment... After it's all said and done, it leaves you empty yet again. And so you chase again. Why are you waiting to give your life to Christ? And the second question, why are you, why are you waiting to get right with God again, Christian? Because guess what? If you have a true relationship with God and you are choosing to let sin enter back in, those friends that you say you care about, you're not pointing them to Christ. You're pointing them to the devil. You're pointing them to the world. You're pointing them to the flesh. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to close this out in prayer. 
And again, I don't know why you came tonight. You know that's crazy? I don't know why you showed up. It could have been because someone invited you. It could have been just because maybe it was a three-year anniversary. It could have just been for some unknown reason. But you showed up tonight. The gospel was presented. That God wants to be your life. And God wants to be your only life. And you walk out of those doors, whichever one you choose, with either choosing to accept it or reject it yet again. But there will come a day when you will sit and stand in front of Almighty God and He will say one or two things. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But you will walk out of these doors with the opportunity of this. Accepting Christ or rejecting Him. And if you walk out of those doors again rejecting Him, and you draw your last breath, Lord, Lord, I thought. Lord, Lord, just one more time. Lord, Lord, I went to Sandy Creek. Hey, coming to this church doesn't save you. Going to your specific church doesn't save you. Anything that you do does not save you. But accepting everything that Jesus did on the cross is only what saves you. And it's only through knowing Him 